Say goodbye to the food police and hello to peace. Welcome to the Love Food Podcast, hosted by dietitian and food behavior expert, Julie Duffy Dillon. This authentically engineered series is in the form of a love letter, welcoming you to reconnect with food. Now pour a cup of coffee or a margarita and let's begin. Welcome to episode 122 of a Love Food Podcast. I'm Julie Duffy Dillon, registered dietitian and partner on your food peace journey. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for connecting today. I wonder how often you think about food. I know for many people who experience an eating disorder or trying to recover from diet culture, They think about food all the time. And I wonder if you do too. You know, I feel like as humans, we're designed to think about food sometimes. I know we make at least 200 food decisions a day. That's a lot. (laughs) And we're also wired to think about food um, throughout the day because we need to eat more than once. And we're also designed to think about food in a way of like preparation but we're not wired to be thinking about it all the time. And our body, when it's thinking about it all the time, and we have a fancy word for that called food preoccupation, when we're experiencing food preoccupation, it can really get in the way of relationships and connecting to joy and otherwise just living a life. For many people I talk to, this food preoccupation what is what really gets them to feel this yearning to be a quote-unquote normal eater. Do you want that too? Do you just want to eat normally and just think about it every so often and just as often as you need, not all the freaking time? Well, I have a letter from someone who's experiencing this. She thinks about food all the time, whether it's just planning a meal for her family or preparing for a binge. It feels like she's always thinking about food. Today's episode, we get to hear from dietitian Heidi Shuster, who just released an amazing book that I highly recommend. It's called Nourish How to Heal Your Relationship with Food, Body, and Self. And she shares some important wisdom about her own complicated relationship with food and how to help this letter writer to make amends and maybe connect to what her normal is supposed to be. Before we get to that, a word from our sponsor. This episode of a Love Food Podcast is brought to you by my PCOS and Food Peace course. If you experience PCOS, you may have been told that you cannot do intuitive eating or you always have to diet, and that is just not the case. I have a 12-step system that I take people through when I work with them individually, and now I've put it in a course so anybody can have access to it. If you want to find out details, just go to PCOSandFoodPeace.com. And also, I haven't really announced it to anywhere else, but I have also released a PCOS and Food Peace course just for dietitians. So if you're a dietitian and you know diets don't work and you want to be better prepared to help those who are in the throes of eating disorder recovery or dieting recovery and affected by PCOS, well, I have got you covered. If you want to find out all the details about the course just for dietitians, Go to PCOSandFoodPeace.com slash dietitians. 
If you enjoy this episode of a Love Food Podcast, I would love it if you could leave a rating review, subscribe, or share the episode. Doing any of these acts of kindness really helps the show grow. It helps more people find it. And you know, if more people find the show, then we really can see the experience of more people feeling at home in their own skin today. And you know, I know if more people felt that way, this world would be a lot more peaceful, a lot less chaotic, and um, I think we get a lot more shit done. So thank you in advance for any of those acts of kindness. All right, enough of all that. Let's get to this episode's letter. Dear Food, I'm about to turn 40, and I've struggled with eating disorders in some form since I was 14. Firstly, anorexia, then bulimia, and now binge eating. I am currently at my highest weight. I actually weigh more than when I was nine months pregnant with my first son. I'm uncomfortable at this size, both physically and emotionally. Growing up, my mom was quite strict with you. Everything in the house was low fat, low sugar, low salt, only whole grain, etc., etc. My mom is always on some form of diet and always has the latest diet books lying around the house. I believe my sister struggles with a restrictive eating disorder, but both she and my mom are in denial about it. My mom simply says she's a, quote, healthy eater or a, quote, picky eater and praises her all the time for how healthy, in other words, thin, she is. I limit the time I spend with them both because I'm so triggered by them. My mom, because she's always talking about diets or telling me how good or bad she's been, which is always related to how she's been eating. And my sister, because just seeing her reminds me of how my body used to look and how disgusting my body is now. I have read a lot about intuitive eating and health at every size. Although I have tried to remove the good slash bad labels from you, I find that certain types of you still have a shine and I feel myself drawn to them. I have tried stocking up my house and telling myself I can have them whenever I want, whenever I really want them, and that I don't have to eat them all now, but I still end up eating them all anyway, just because they're there calling me, not because I'm actually hungry. When I'm in a particularly bad period, I can go weeks without eating any fruits or vegetables. It's like I have to eat everything, and the more unhealthy you are, the better. I have two sons, and I find these times extremely difficult because I know I have to feed them properly and set a good example to them with eating, something I never had growing up. I have tried tuning into my hunger and fullness cues, but I am always compelled to keep eating until everything is gone, even if I feel sick doing so. I often go to bed with a sore belly and feeling so full that I can barely move. I think about you all day, whether I'm planning meals for my family or planning a binge. The only time I don't think about you is when I'm completely stuffed and feeling sick. I really wish I could improve my relationship with you. I wish I could eat like a normal person and not have every thought consumed by you and my body. I know I use you as a coping mechanism, but I just don't know what else to do. You've always been there for me, even if I hate you for doing so. I look forward to hearing your advice. Love, losing the battle of the binge. 
Hey there, letter writer. Thanks for the note. And wow, what a really exhausting experience with food you've had. And I hope that the conversation I have coming up next is something you find helpful. I'm actually going to be giving a call to fellow dietitian Heidi Shoster, and she is someone that has experienced a similar relationship with food and also has now become an eating disorder dietitian. So I think she's going to have some really special insight. So let's give her a call. Hello. Hey, Heidi. It's Julie Duffy Dillon. How are you? Hi, Julie. I'm well. How are you? Great. And I'm so glad to be talking to you. Um, I have really enjoyed reading your book. So when I got this letter from uh, this letter writer, I thought of you. I thought you would have a lot of insight for this person, especially again, reading your book and about your own experiences. And so um, I'm really excited to talk to you. And have you had a chance to read the letter yet? I have, Julie. Thank you so much for having me um, You're welcome. on your show. And I um, I am delighted to, to address the letter because I feel like it's the kind of person that I wrote this book for. Oh, good. Good. Well, so when you read it, what was your like general impression about what this person's experiencing? Well, I, I think they're experiencing a lot. I think they're, you know, they have a long and complicated relationship with food, um, as many of us do. Um, it's hard not to kind of growing up in, in our culture today. Um, she has sort of a diet mentality that's been ingrained from, you know, early on from her, from her mom, it sounds like, and, and perhaps even generations before that. Um, food is really charged for her. That's something I noticed. Um, and she's got what I would call kind of a chaotic relationship with food where she goes back and forth between binging and she doesn't talk a lot about restriction, but I kind of think of someone who struggles with binge eating as restricting on somewhere on the other end of that, whether it's a mindset or an actual, you know, food restriction. Um, so there's just, a, and there's a lot of preoccupation with yes. food. Yes. There too. I heard a lot of preoccupation, which also is like a little clue to me that she's she may be restricting her food intake because we tend to fixate and get preoccupied on food when we're not getting enough um, mm -hmm. on a regular basis. So, yeah, I agree. And yeah. that food preoccupation, I think, for this letter writer and anyone who's listening who can identify with this person, which again, you and I. We definitely like this is a really common kind of relationship with food that like how they're describing it. And that food preoccupation is kind of a clue to me too that there's some restriction. And so for for you, Heidi, do you do you get to meet with people who often will easily identify, yeah, I binge, but they're not really noticing that they're restricting too? Absolutely. Yes. Um, they might not feel like they're dieting or restricting their food in any way. Um, and like I said, sometimes they really are. And I have to actually, we do some education about like, well, how much is a normal amount of food mm -hmm. um, for someone to be eating? Um, but often it's not so much that they really are heavily restricting, but they may have that restrictive mindset um, that they're carrying around with them. Like this idea that eating X foods are wrong and so therefore those foods become more charged and more likely to become binge foods because they are quote unquote bad. Um, so sometimes it's just a mindset 
that um, that's kind of a setup for a binge. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it sounds a little bit like the person who wrote the letter also, she mentioned that she uses food as a coping mechanism. Um, so, you know, there's probably this use of food to kind of deal with emotional overwhelm. Um, I heard, I felt like a little bit of that in the reading of it, although it wasn't really clearly stated, Mm -hmm. but I think we, you know, we often use food as, um, a way to kind of Mm self-regulate, um, so to speak, um, even though it's not very effective, but in the moment it might feel like it is. So I wondered a little bit about that as well. Yeah. I was kind of the, I don't seeing between the lines, I guess, in a way, um, that kind of experience too. And um, I really appreciate the word you use, like charge. That's a really helpful word in this situation because um, how you're you're laying out how restriction is not just like literally not eating, but how we're thinking about food and and the mentality behind it. And even how this person was talking about the, the really common method of like stocking your house with the foods that you feel the foods you feel like um, triggered by or you feel like not safe around, it almost was like the sense of, I have to hurry up and get done with these foods, you know, and just like hurry up and and binge on them or, you know, um, get used to them so then I don't need them anymore and I don't have to feel so much shame about them. And in a way, I'm like, oh, I can see how that really didn't quote unquote work because it was so charged, like you said. Like it still had a diet mentality to it. Right, and it's so hard to like, to take the charge out of food mm-hmm. when food has been charged. I mean, I think that's often work that takes a little while um, where someone might, you know, you know, cookies have become, you know, cookies with a capital C, um, but they have to actually get to a point where they can keep them in their house and, you know, not binge on them. And that, you know, that's not generally something that happens overnight where, you know, they, they all of a sudden take the charge out of food and it's totally neutral. Um, but it can, it's kind of a process of often trial and error, often, you know, sort of figuring out, well, what is manageable? What experiments can we do to make the food feel a little bit more quote unquote legal to Mm -hmm. eat? Um, but that's a, it's a tricky process. I don't know if you experience that, Julie, in your Mm -hmm. work as well. For sure. Yeah. And so one of the things I always like to know, when I talk to someone like you, who's an expert in this area, is um, what are those first few steps? And that, that's what you're. It sounds like you're starting to like say that you know it's it's hard to figure out what those steps are going to be. But for this letter writer, if if you were like sitting one on one with this person, what are some first steps that you'd recommend? Well, that's that's a great question. One of the things that I write about in my book is that I think one of the things we do, and I I've done it myself as a nutrition therapist is we try to dive in and change things before we're even kind of aware of what the patterns are. Um, and so ultimately what I would want to do first, if I was seeing this particular person as a client who wrote the letter would be to like, really take a look at what's going on on a day-to-day basis with their food behaviors. Like what like what's what what choices are they making? What thoughts are coming up when they eat, before they eat, after they eat? Um, some of that is discussion that we might have in session. It might be some self like reflective work that they do on their own. But I I'd, I'd want to do a lot of investigative work and just really understanding what comes up both emotionally and just environmentally 
around food so that we even know where to start and what where is that charge coming from? I mean, I think you and I both have a sense that some of the charge just comes from the diet orientation this woman grew up in, um, given that her mom was always on diets, is still on diets. Um, but some of it also comes from maybe the choices that she's making um, in her day, um, some of the thoughts that come in, and all of those can be worked on, but it's so hard to work on them all at once that you know we might pick one thing, like one intrusive thought that comes up, for example, to work on first. Mm. So the investigative work without trying to change anything, I think is so important. And that's oh, what I yeah. start with. That's important. I think because like the way that this letter sounds is very chaotic and overwhelming. And I can only appreciate how exhausting that must be to have that kind of commotion all the time around food, which we have to think about a bazillion times a day. And um, what an important skill to be able to like step back and just notice what's going on and try really hard to not judge it and notice yeah. what's what's making, um, I always think of eating behavior on like a pendulum. So like what's making the pendulum swing so violently and chaotically and pick one thing at a time and just let yourself have that space to do it. And, um, you know, I guess this is a time where, um, I feel like everyone, I wish everyone could work with a dietitian, but this person in particular, like if they gave themselves permission to I don't know, spend the next six months to a year working with a dietitian to like take those steps back because it may take another person to be able to like hold your hand figuratively through that to be able to like take all those notes and just notice the messages. So um, one thing that I'll put in the show notes is a link to finding a dietitian that specializes in eating disorders. You know, if you want to find someone near near you, if you're listening and can identify with this letter or you're the letter writer, um, Maybe that's something that that could help with that process of like investigation, like you said. Yes, yeah. uh, you know, I I think that the key is finding someone who really has experience working with disordered eating, because um, unfortunately, sometimes even those of us who are registered dietitians can do more damage than um, than good when we don't have that orientation, um, and we're still kind of operating from a like a mind driven place with food. Like she doesn't need someone to tell her what to eat or um, which foods are healthier or less healthy. Mm. That's the last thing that she needs. She really needs someone to just help her tune into her own body's wisdom and learn to trust her body again and trust her signals again, which, you know, she mentioned feel really out of whack. Um, and that's, you know, unfortunately that is not, is probably a longer process. It's not a quick fix but like really getting back to a more connected uh, relationship with food and her body will definitely take some time, mm -hmm. um, you know, given how long she's been struggling with this. But I, someone who has that experience and can actually come at it from a sort of internally driven focus versus an externally driven focus um, would be really important. Yeah, yeah. So maybe the cue would be if you... Um are meeting with someone and they're saying, well, just don't eat this, don't eat that, or here's a, a meal plan to follow. Or if, if, a, if this person's trying to do this work on their own, if they're thinking more like I need to fix my food or fix me, that's how you know you're going down the wrong path. 
<laughs> like it's, I, it's something different. And then instead of like, let's investigate, let's turn over every rock and take our time and try really hard to not judge it and just see what happens. So then there's like a space to actually heal instead of just this like, I don't know, I kind of picture it like a hamster wheel, just not really going anywhere. You can just stay stuck on that for a really long time. So, um, well, Heidi, we have something as a part of the show called the Food Peace Syllabus. And if you're new to the podcast, it's a, a list of like books and podcasts and blog posts and anything under the sun that we have found that helps to further cultivate a healthy relationship with food and body. And if you want your your own copy of it, you can just get it at juliedillonrd.com. And Heidi, do you want to add anything to it? Yeah, well, I certainly love to add my book to it because I wrote this the book Nourish, How to Heal Your Relationship with Food, Body, and Self, specifically for um, someone who wrote, like the person who wrote this letter, um, who, and, and it could be for someone who is recovering from disordered eating, but also for someone who just has a funky relationship with food and wants to understand it more. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I wrote it because there aren't a whole lot of nutrition books out there that really help people understand how to eat from an internally driven way um, and a non-diet oriented kind of way. So mm-hmm. that's, that's why I put, that's why I wrote Nourish. So I'd love to add that to your syllabus. Um, and you're welcome to also add my blog as well which is at anourishingword.com. Awesome. We'll do that. We'll put all of yeah. those in the show notes. And yeah, your book was excellent. You know, I I find, um, I don't know, a lot of books come my way that are um, supposed to be helping someone's relationship with food in their body, but they still have like a um, must pursue weight loss or we must fix our bodies or this doing something is wrong. And, and I was not getting that in your book. I was so happy. So, um, I was so, um, relieved in a way, which I don't know. I wish I didn't have that relieved feeling. It should happen more often, but I was really relieved to see that it was about healing while promoting health, you know, and it's, it's, um, and like you said, like internally driven rather than here's this sheet to to follow. Right. And I should mention too, that it has a lot of resources in it too, Mm -hmm. you know, probably a bunch that are already on your food piece syllabus, Mm -hmm. but, um, but it has a lot of resources so that people can read more or investigate more. Awesome. Awesome. Um, But yeah, it's, you know, this is a, I wrote it based on, you know, the 20 years that I've been doing work with disordered eating and also with my own history of recovery in mind. And, um, you know, it's a 10 step process, but it's not linear. The steps are not linear at all. And, um, they're not meant to be kind of an overnight fix in any way. Um, it's certainly, like you said, it requires healing, um, which is not generally something that you can just say, okay, well, something's broken. I'm going to just fix it. Like if anything, what I'm trying to communicate is that you're not broken. There is actually nothing wrong with your body. Um, they're like learning to actually accept and take care of your body is part of the work, mm-hmm. um, whatever it is at right now. So it's a little different approach. It is. And I think even just being able to name and kind of like peel off that our bodies are not the ones that are like malfunctioning, you know, that it's this culture and like naming that, I feel like it's a really feminist kind of approach. And it's something that I have found to be helpful and just 
trying to survive in this like dieting culture is to like name it when I see it. And so I feel like it takes it. So it's not that I'm doing anything wrong or anybody else that it's societal kind of like systemic oppressions and, you know, they're not for us to carry. So um, I really appreciate your insight. And Heidi, if someone wants to know more about your work, is your blog the best way to, to connect with you? Or do you have another way that's the best way to connect with you? Probably the best way to connect with me is through my website, mm -hmm. um, which the blog is there. Um, you, know, you can purchase the book there as well. Um, and that's www.anourishingword.com. So it's W-O-R-D.com. Awesome. And the book's available on, you know, Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all of that. But if you want more information and resources, um, probably my website's the best way to be in touch. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Heidi. I really appreciate your insight. Thank you so much for talking with me, Julie. It's been a delight. Well there, letter writer, I hope that my conversation with Heidi was helpful. And by the way, I was totally mispronouncing Heidi's last name. It is Schuster. Uh, like rhyming with rooster. So Heidi Schuster, um, I hope you got something from that discussion. And I know I learned a lot from her. And again, her book is amazing. And I think for you and anyone listening who can identify with what you're going through would get a lot of um, space to heal by reading the book's words. I need to make a special announcement that I haven't let y'all know yet. Um, this is actually going to be the end of season two. Oh, I feel a little like emotional even saying that. I'm going to miss like doing this every week and connecting with all of you, but I will be back. Um, it is June in 2018 and my children are on a break from school because it's summertime and I have a few other projects that I'm working on and I need to devote some headspace to them, but I'm going to be back in August because Seriously, we have so much more work to do. It seems like with every step forward, there's another step back in helping to heal our relationship with food because of the world's own obsession with dieting and diet culture. So I will be back. But in the meantime, there's definitely going to be lots of episodes to catch up on. And, you know, iTunes is kind of weird in how it stores the podcasts. And so if you're listening on that um, on Apple Podcasts, you can't get all the episodes. You only can get 100 of them. And there's 122 actually over that because I have some bonus episodes. So if you want to go back through the whole archive, you can do that by going to juliedillonrd.com slash podcast, and you will get to all of the episodes and catch up. I will also be um, you know, releasing some things here and there as I'm able to especially as some of these projects come to fruition and I have more tangible evidence that they're gonna be coming to a conclusion and I'm excited to share those with you. If you enjoyed this episode of a Love Food Podcast, I would love it if you could leave a rating review, subscribe or share this episode. Doing any of those acts of kindness always helps the show grow. This episode of the Love Food Podcast was brought to you by my PCOS and Food Peace course. And if you want any of the details, go to PCOSandFoodPeace.com. If you're a dietitian and wanting to be better prepared to help people do intuitive eating work with PCOS, well, you're in luck. I also have a course for you. You can get to it by going to PCOSandFoodPeace.com slash dietitians. I see food has written back. So until next time. Take care. Dear Losing the Battle of the Binge, 
you've gotten a mixed up message about what we food are here to do with you. We are meant to empower and nourish you. Instead, you were taught to control, fear, and compete with food. Somewhere in those messages, you started to carry the burden of shame. You learned to distrust and disconnect from your body. We believe in healing and it can happen for you. Name what is really going on. Investigate. Why are you getting charged with your food in this moment? Practice not blaming yourself. Try to be patient. This will be hard work and good work. Love food. Thank you for listening. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, and this is a Love Food Podcast. Do you want access to more food peace? Jump on over to my website and join my email list. There, I share exclusive content that I don't share anywhere else. Get access to these tips and strategies by going to juliedillonrd.com forward slash sign up. And I look forward to seeing you here next week for another episode of the Love Food Podcast. Take care. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.